Welcome back to another episode of the Web3 Show. I'm back here with my crypto entourage. I've got Galactic Q who's delivering a keynote right after this, finally breaking through into the crypto crypto influencer industry for the first time properly. We're really proud of him. Um, And as always, he's got the Baron of Red Pills staying true to his namesake. He's got plenty of those to come. Uh, We've already been chatting a bit about uh, things to come in the episode around Moonbird, so exciting. We've also got, as always, your guy in TradFi, the ghost of Wall Street, making trades, making moves around Europe. He's in Munich. One day he's in Norway. One day he's in Munich. The next day he's in, he's in New York on Wall Street. So you can never keep track of this guy. Um, but it's good to have him here for another hour. It's good to have Q here. Boys, just a, bit, a quick check-in. Um, the world is a crazy place right now. Um, first of all, just three points, like just a, a brief check-in on general news, which we're not going to talk about extensively, but just I think it's worth mentioning that uh, it's 60 plus days after the last update from Pixelmons, which uh, <laughs> Pixelmon <laughs> NFT, which we which uh, we famously documented in, I think it was about around episode 18 or 19. I can't remember exactly. Um, but yeah, they, that that's, I think, definitely been confirmed as a rug, surely, by now. Um, last night, the hack of the week, I don't know if you guys saw this. The Board Apes, uh, Board Ape Yacht Club Instagram got hacked, and the hacker posted a fake mint button. Oh God! And people literally, I think ninety-one NFTs were were lost, were hacked, worth about three million dollars. So that's just I find that hilarious that the Instagram account of Board Apes, like of all things, got hacked and still managed, you know to extract financial loss on people. And the last thing is of my becoming a bit longer check-in, Elon just bought Twitter, confirmed last night. Funding secured $44 billion. We, we didn't, We've been chatting about it over the past two episodes. And it's finally, like, I mean, we, we all said, I mean, the all-in guys predicted this would take 30-plus days, at least two months, like at least a month to, to two months. We even said the same, you know, and it's happened yesterday. It's done. And <laughs> I don't know if you guys saw. Did you see Elon? He posted last night. He posted a screenshot of the Twitter blue NFT um, PFP verification. And he said, <laughs> and the caption was, this is annoying with the screenshot of the of the feature within Twitter. And then you have some board ape uh, user tweeting below, replying to it. And he's like, don't you fucking dare take away my hexagon. <laughs> I mean, the, the meme, guy... The memes the, on Twitter have been brilliant. Yeah, it's, it's been, been so really good. Great. It's been so good. Interesting, I mean, I don't want to spend too long on this because I know we've got a, quite a bit to get through. Interesting philosophical question, though. I saw a tweet. I don't know what you guys think if you saw it or if you've had similar thoughts. Chris Dixon said something similar, but it, uh, there was another user who basically went more explicitly saying how can anyone who's a proponent of crypto in web three be celebrating one person, one centralized authoritarian person, not saying that Elon is like that, but essentially that's what it is in, in substance buying Twitter and, you know, taking control of it. Whereas obviously crypto is, you know, freedom to the masses and community owned. And I think Chris Dixon said something similar. I don't know if you guys saw that, or have any instant reactions to that? I just thought it was interesting, interesting philosophical question posed right off the bat. 
Ja, I mean, uh, uh, a kind king is still a king. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, that's true. Uh, I guess we've just got to go with the flow and see what happens, I think. I mean, the net positive will obviously be there if he cleans up like he's promised. I mean, if we authenticate everyone on Twitter, um, that would really be a big step uh, towards creating kind of actually a working town square. Right, like it's one thing to have one, but it's another like, uh, does it work? Right, like we've got a lot of institutions which don't. Um, so I think that'll be interesting to see. Yeah, listen, well, well said. I don't want to spend too long on it, but uh, it's definitely an interesting question. And I guess the fact that interests from the crypto community and people aligned with crypto have also been aligned generally with what Elon has proposed to do with Twitter. So I guess that's why the reaction has been somewhat better than maybe you know if a true authoritarian came in and was like you know wanted to do something against what most people want to do but anyway that's the that's the quick chicken yaku just 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 one thing never be bet against elon dogecoin surged 40 percent last night from wick to wick so people are now starting to expect doge to be the currency of twitter so i guess there's going to be some speculative shorts that could build into this that's true (laughs) Another short, eh? You think Bill yeah. Gates? You think Bill Gates is going to build half a billion dollar short position against Doge? <laughs> <laughs> if you know, you know. If if you know, you know. If you saw the screenshots on Twitter, then you the get that. Conversation. <laughs> yeah, jeez, unreal. Um, Q. Um, Elon buys Twitter. A new meme coin is also uh, up three thousand five hundred percent. So there's also a market leading indicator, surely. Yeah, guys, I mean, listen, the resurgence of meme coins could kickstart us again before E2. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's all in on Shibu, boys. <laughs> oh, God, there you go. There you go, from, from our expert. You hit it here first. Well, look, on that lighter note, um, Q, take us through what's actually going on in the markets. And obviously, what we just said there was completely a joke. Please don't invest in Elon buys Twitter. It's probably going to be a rug. Um, take us yeah. through what's happening in the market in the past week we had a bit of a dump down to 38 i think was it yesterday what's going on yeah it was last last night 38.3 um yeah i mean you know the, as as with the market watch last week you know this past week in crypto has been very boring um there hasn't been a lot happening bitcoin is kind of sitting in a sluggish phase at the moment um but what is a bit alarming is it is starting to show a bit of weakness on its current trend support and um, you know, we, we lost that trend last night with the push down to 38.2 um, and ultimately got a massive bounce to close the daily candle back above this new trend. So what, what we do want to see today in the short term is Bitcoin reclaim that 41.5 um, to 42.5 on the daily. If we cannot reclaim that over the next day or two, then I think we could very likely see the swing lows of Bitcoin for another push down to 36. And often when we have these strong wicks, we do see a trickle-down price action towards those levels again before we push back up. But we did get good volume last night, um, and we did get a bit of a reset across the board in some of the momentum indicators, which is positive to see. So short-term price action, you know, until we claim 41.5, 42.5 on the daily, I'm still expecting us to go for another swing low of 36. So I'm just sitting on the sidelines waiting for this to happen. Um, and if we do show strength to that 41.5 level, I'll start looking to scale back into the market. 
But I think it's cautious areas now, considering we've also got the 50 basis point hike that's currently getting priced in um, over the next, which will likely be priced in properly over the next week or two, leading up to the Fed talk in May. And I think what's more interesting is we've also got the likelihood of a 50 basis points in June and July as well. So three rate hikes, um, which is bound to put major pressure on the markets. As we did see last week, we got a massive fall off in tech stocks. Um, and NASDAQ. So it's just good to be cautious in this kind of murky water. Uh, this is not a trader's game at all. This kind of phase in the market is more like Chamath said, kind of like a chicken fight, cat and mouse versus the Fed and investors. So it's better to kind of sit on the sideline for the most part and just kind of allocate your investment accounts when you see opportunity fit. Um, but I do see us continue in the current range that we're in. And if we manage to retain 36K, if you look at this on the weekly, we're actually just putting in one massive bull flag since our breakout from $25,000 um, in 2020. So there are some really bullish cases here, and equally there are some bearish cases here. Um, so I think only time's going to tell what happens in the macro uh, conditions as to what will happen with crypto as we ask for largely correlated. John's quick question before we move on. Is it possible like an event like Elon buying Twitter, which, you know, for most people, I think is very bullish, not only on Twitter, but just in terms of free speech and maybe other things in, you know, within crypto Twitter is something like that. You know, we, we mentioned Doge mooning. Is it enough? Is an event like this just in general from from general market terms and um, not just necessarily on what's happening with Elon? Can an event like this sort of prop the market back up or would that only be artificial and maybe just isolated effects such yeah. as Dogecoin. Well, look what happened with Duquan buying Bitcoin. You know, he bought through all the resistances. We got back up to 48K, then he stopped buying and we dumped all the way back to 38. So something like that is very unsustainable for market structure. As you know, the, the base here is we don't have retail in the market. You know, we, we don't have a lot of new liquidity flooding into the markets. And I think one thing that could really ignite this market again above and beyond any partnership is a spot ETF approved in the US. And we know that it's getting approved in Australia and various other countries now. But I think a spot ETF will open the floodgates to true institutional liquidity. And that would be a catalyst that would prop the price and send us very, very high, as most people are, have been waiting for the spot ETF since, shit, I think the Winklevoss twins um, put in a bid for what, back in 2013 or 2014 already. Yeah, so years and years, yeah, years and years and years that people have been trying to get a spot ETF approved. Another sort of event that I think could do really well in propping the kind of the altcoin resurgence would be the ETH merge later this year. But right now, I don't think any major partnerships, for example, Musk buying Twitter, Jack Mallers announcing all those huge partnerships with Bitcoin Lightning Network. You know, fundamentally, these are massive things. But they're not price catalysts in the current conditions because right now there's so much uncertainty geopolitically and in the macro economy. Right. Love that. Thanks for the market update, Q. Let's move on uh, swiftly. We've got a bit of a moon, Moonbirds update. I mean, how can't we? Um, you know, <laughs> just for people who uh, missed last week's episode who haven't really been following, just to recap, Moonbirds, um, the stellar 
PFP project sort of created by the Proof Collective, which has been run by uh, Kevin Rose, an, an old school Web2 entrepreneur. Built, he's built a couple of companies, um, big mates with Tim Ferriss, if you follow Tim Ferriss's podcast. Um, Proof is Proof is a great uh, is is a great project in itself, and I think they've really built <clears throat> quite a strong community in itself. But specifically with Moonbirds now, their offshoot offshoot PFP, they launched on the sixteenth of April. Just to recap some of the numbers, minted for two point five ETH each, which is you know I think we all have our opinions of how expensive that is as a mint price. Um, the floor is currently. Currently at 29.5 ETH, uh, you know, it's down from last night. I think it's been fluctuating quite a bit. I'm sure John's will talk about that. Essentially, they, and with the 116,000 Ethereum volume traded, taking into account their 7.5% royalty, this project has now netted about, just from the Moonbird sale and secondary sales, they've netted about $100 million in revenue. Now, an update from my side, I saw that Kevin Rose, the founder of the Proof, uh, Proof Collective and obviously the Moonbirds Project, he went on to Bankless and they, they went through everything and they, they had a good, decent interview with him. Um, and, and I just wanted to get more of an insight on you know, what Proof is, what Moonbirds is, what's his outlook and look, all very good things. I, I, I think he changed my opinion a bit from, you know, obviously this is not something as sinister as Pixelmons where the, you know, something like where the founders are anonymous, you know, their team, the proof team is doxxed. Um, Pixelmons, on the other hand, you know, you didn't know what you were getting. It just seemed sketchy the whole time. Whereas I think Kevin's intentions are legitimate and I believe him when he says he's building for the next 10 years because he has been in the internet in web two since it started. And, you know, he's been a prevalent builder in, in the space in content creation. And he's got a track record as he says, which, which is so true, which, you know, I'm sure we'll chat about it guys, but like investing in a project where the founders have a track record gives you so much more certainty, I guess, around the project. What I will say though, is I think Bankless, the Bankless guys could have been harder on him just asking key questions because there were moments when, you know, Kevin was, Kevin would say something like, you know, we're not interested in, you know, we're not interested in the money or short term movements or stuff like this. And he gave the example of, Oh, we, there was a time when there was a mess up with minting or whatever. And, um, you know, there was a 10 second delay between the contract going live and the mint button actually registering. So some people spent a bunch of gas, like a hundred, like in, in aggregate it was a hundred thousand dollars worth of gas that was spent, but no NFTs were minted. He then said, okay, well, because we were thinking long-term, we refunded all of the gas and let people mint again. But I think Bankless missed a chance to challenge him on why the minting price was so expensive, and I don't know what you guys think, because 2.5 ETH is very expensive. Let's not beat around the bush here. $7,000 at those prices, more than $7,000, just to mint a PFP. You know, and I've got an opinion on that, Luca. I think... Um, go for it, Luca. I, I sort of had a bit of a moment when I was scrolling through my Twitter and saw like, who actually has the Moonbirds PFPs. Um, I feel like this is a visible 
way to buy yourself into a club effectively like seven thousand five hundred dollars like you know it's a lot but um I, I think the target market just wasn't the general crypto uh, twitter space crypto twitter space like it, it, it definitely wasn't retail i think it was entrepreneurs and they can all afford it right i mean people that want to build up businesses around board app they'll just buy a board app so I, I just actually think the space Moonbirds was targeting was quite different to most NFT projects. In, in that most NFT project, I think they don't really care who's buying them, right? I think this was kind of like a, a tech project really targeting also people in tech and, and basically those that can afford it and, and, and will add value to Moonbirds in the long run. And Luca, obviously it's interesting because they do have the CCO you know, where they do have uh, the IP transfer to users. But is that, a, is that a good or a bad thing, Luca? Well, it just increases the application space for the NFTs. So, I mean, oh, Sorry, what, what, what I meant what? was, is, 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 um, is, the, is the user base being more entrepreneurial, is that necessarily a bad thing? I, I don't think so. I mean, the, the user base being entrepreneurial is, is a net positive, right? Like entrepreneurs wield a lot of influence, particularly in the U.S. Um, so I think, I think it was a great chess move, actually, from Kevin Rose. Like, I, I just still agree with our general thesis from the last session that, you know, it didn't need to be $70 million. But I think, uh, I think it was more about making a point and basically uh, ensuring that the people that buy in, at least to a large part, um, will actually be able to add some value rather than having no discriminant. Well, just, just, just to build on that, like, I, I agree. I mean, you know, when, you, when you're charging that amount for an NFT, what you're usually doing is pricing out people who look for a quick flip. So, so you are attracting more the diamond-handed holders, guys who are part of more established NFT projects like board apps and things like that, who are used to just not dumping at low prices. So... In that regard, it's great. And, you know, they are attracting quite a, quite a high net worth target market, maybe not just entrepreneurs, but high net worth people. Now, the one thing that I find a bit of an issue, though, is why 10,000? If you're wanting to build some exclusive network of entrepreneurs or investors or high net worth individuals within the Web3 space, why do you need to drop 10,000? Proof Collective did so well because they only had a thousand NFTs and I think their floor is sitting at what, 140 ETH? So if you really don't care about the money and your purpose is to create a, a you know, tight knit web of high net worth successful people, why 10,000? That's so excessive. I mean, and probably because the hit rates isn't a hundred percent, right? Like, I mean, my guess would be that maybe, you know, they, they're banking on maybe 5% to 10% of participants really adding tangible value to the Moonbirds project, either through derivative businesses. Um, maybe, maybe it was like an internal thing. They realized, you know, Proof Collective, like it went great and everything, but, you know, they needed to cost the net a bit wider. Right. And at the end of yeah, the well, day, like, well, who's, well, not gonna, who's gonna say no to seventy million dollars as well? Which, which just on that just on that point by costing the net, the proof collective holders each were given two moonbird allocations. Really? Guaranteed. Sure. So so of those you know, they basically just bridged that entire network across. So it's not really costing the net much further then. So I, I don't know. I, I, I think, you know, no one would ever say no to 70 or in this case now, you know, over a hundred million dollars in revenue. Like 
no one would say no to that ever, but I think I call bullshit when it says, when Kevin Rose says it's not about the money because this clearly seems like it's about the money. And I remember seeing a tweet or something along the lines where he said, we'll raise more and more and more and more money. And essentially, yes, you're building for the 10-year plan, but I mean, <laughs> it's going to be a lot of trust in the team sitting on a big-ass dial, you know. <laughs> Listen, it, it of course is not about the money when he speaks about it and, and he has to say that, I think, in, in press, of course. But of course it's about the money because his whole thing within the Bankless podcast and when he was speaking, and by the way, he is very well-spoken. I respect him. I, I think he's done some great things in the past with, with Dig and his other businesses and he's building a great community here with Proof and everything. But of course it's about the money because you need you need the money, you need the ETH, you need the capital to to build your products that you want to build out in the future. I mean, he said he wants to build out a future metaverse. He wants to, you know, he's going down the standard route, which I think we'll also have an opinion about, which is doing the whole land sale thing. And, you know, the Moonbirds is going to be like the main sort of avatar within their metaverse coming soon. Um, you know, and, that, and that's what they want to do. But of course it's about, of course it's about the money. And yeah, I mean, what's, what's interesting about Proof Collective is now, you know, it's a it's a complete polar opposite because what I found interesting is they have 930 unique owners um, out of the 1,000 items, um, which shows a bit of stickiness and and like that that you know it's not very concentrated within a few owners and the floor price is sitting still above 100 ETH. So I think that's that's done really well. Right. Well, well, ju- and- just just on that, I actually I actually tuned into to a podcast last week where there was a guy who owns about I think five of those proof collected passes, and he's been in that community since day one. And essentially, what he said is the amount of money that all those users have made just by being in that group has far eclipsed the current floor price of proof collected NFTs. So he, he basically went on to say that no one wants to sell these things because the alpha that is shared within this private group has netted them all so much more money. Yeah, because you know you know what they, they're doing. Um, you know, Kevin Rose and his proof team, they basically have like analysts who analyze different NFT projects and they basically go for all of the blue chip and, and basically give the alpha, you know, the information alpha to their private discord and you know, the, I think all of these people are basically, and also, sorry, the that Discord community, the Proof Discord community, gets early access to certain NFT drops. Like, you know, um, guaranteed mint as well. Yeah, guaranteed mint. Like, you know, uh, CryptoPunks, the Lava Labs, Autoglyphs. I think they got an early drop of that. Like, some of the people in that Discord server basically just got a free airdrop of an Autoglyph when they came out, which is like insane. That access that they're getting. And it's because of Kevin. I mean, it's because he's so well connected. It's because the Proof podcast, he brings on the artists, he brings on only the best and then sort of curates. But okay, so let's, before we get to, before we uh, get off off topic here, I wanted to bring it back a bit because there's also been, you know, we've been talking about the fair bit of controversy, um, you know, just around the price. And I think the floor price and Luca obviously made a good point about who was the actual target market for this, which I think, also made me realize a bit, okay, well, that, that makes a bit more sense. But I don't know if you guys saw, this was actually breaking news as of yesterday. So the Moonbirds COO, who was working with Kevin on the drop and on the Proof Collective, 
he left the project yesterday to start his own NFT fund. And he had over a million dollars worth of the Moonbirds NFTs in tow, basically. And so now he's starting. Uh, so this is Ryan Carson, the CEO of Proof, left to start his own NFT um, investing fund. And essentially the controversy came around where, you know, he announced this and or before announcing this on the drop of Moonbirds, he was he basically put out his strategy saying how he's going to sweep the floor of the Moonbirds once, you know, obviously staying independent and whatever, because he, you know, once once every basically the public had a chance to 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 um, get their hands on, you know, the different rarities, and he didn't want to unfairly get the most rare NFTs. But what are your guys? I don't know if you guys saw this or you know have any reactions to this. Um, instant reactions. I mean, it does seem a bit like, you know, coming at a convenient time um, that he would leave and then go start his own NFT fund with Moonbirds, you know, in tow within within the fund. Any thoughts? It's always the issue with upfront payment, right? It's like with NFT projects. Like, I mean, he can just leave. Like, they've made the money, right? They don't need to actually make more money. Um, so I guess it shouldn't come as a surprise, um, when, when people move off and do other things. I mean, I would be hard pressed to be motivated to deliver on a roadmap if I just netted over a hundred million dollars. You would think so. Q, does this, does this, hence, hence Pixelmon does. Yeah. No, I'm exactly. to, I mean, netted 70 million. Why do they need to build? <laughs> but Q, I mean, you've spoken about this before where, you know, I, I guess, you know, obviously Kevin and and you know his his team are more sophisticated i think than the regular you know than the re- regular nft project founder but you've spoken about this before when you get that windfall of of capital essentially and you're not tied by shareholders it's all decentralized you can you can run if you want or you can stay and deliver so what do you think well, well, was going through well, this guy's head when he made this decision you know, well, I mean, I can't really comment on the inner workings of Moonbirds as a company. You know, I'm, I'm sure they've got their legal, you know, setup done right. But, you know, for the most part, majority of NFT projects have zero legal framework. So there's no legal bound or legal intention that a team has to fulfill the promise of their roadmap. So when you have projects raising 10, 20, 30 million dollars, you know, there's actually no legal like bounding facts that they need to actually do anything. Founders can just leave when they want to. And, and this, this has become, you know, not, not calling it a rug or anything, but, you know, th- this has become like a recurring factor with a lot of NFT projects, which has just become dormant, you know, and, and ultimately have amounted to nothing. Now, I mean, in, in the case of Moonbirds, you know, maybe there was a falling out or a difference or, you know, maybe the CEO decided, look how well Moonbirds did, I can do this better. And maybe there was a disagreement. And, you know, ultimately, there's no legal bound that he has to the community. So he can just walk away. Like, what stops him? Everything's decentralized. The, the worst it could be is reputation. But they can still walk away with the money. And, you know, th- this, this is a problem in the NFT space the, as a whole. A lot of projects have this. I'm just circling back to Pixelmon. I mean, not to compare Moonbirds and Pixelmon at all. I think Moonbirds is an incredible project. But, I mean, just circling back to Pixelmon, 
that's an anonymous team that haven't sent an update in 60 days, and they've walked away with six, $70 million just from revenue, from, from Mint. What incentive do they have to work? And that, that's the entire problem with Web3, is that in traditional business, you spend two to three years building a project with small funding rounds, and you build your product, and ultimately, after five years to a decade, do you actually see the big bucks if that product is successful? In NFTs, people are raising multi, multi million do- millions of dollars just off artworks and false promises or promised roadmaps. And, you know, Punk, there's that, there's that guy on Twitter, Punk6529, um, uh, six six who, who basically tweeted this the other day. He said, speculative projects with utility is coming as the roadmap should be funded with logical amounts of money. 500K, a million dollars, or even max $2 million is more than enough to get a good prototype out. Sending these teams tens or hundreds of millions of dollars in exchange for words is a recipe. And then he posted the picture of Kevin from Pexamon. So, I mean, it, it, it just kind of shows the speculation in the space that people believe you need 10, 20, 30 million dollars to build a metaverse game. When in actual fact, you only need 100 to 200 thousand dollars. So I, I think there's just kind of like a misconception of experience in the space where people, you know, are kind of believe anything and everything. And, you know, people will believe now that with 100 million dollars, like netted in the project, they can build the world. But how much of that is actually going to ever get used? Do you maybe think there's a psychological barrier where these guys maybe think, okay, we we can't we we cannot at all costs afford to raise money from maybe a VC or external funding because this is Web three, this is crypto. We have to raise as much possible. We have to raise solely from the community, but because maybe there's doubt over how much can be raised, we have to prop that up as much as possible and raise as much as possible, as fast as possible, which then leads to this, these just exorbitant rounds. And I mean, you know, you, you have that, you have that theory about, you know, a thousand true fans where, you know, if you did, if you did a NFT mint or something to just a thousand people, I mean, like proof has done, like proof collective has done and they've absolutely blown up. Look how sticky that community is with just a thousand NFTs. And then, you know, on the back end, you be transparent about it and you say, listen, we're taking money from Andreessen just a bit to get our metaverse off the ground. And this is our tight-knit community that we're taking, taking, a lot, taking along with. Um, and just being transparent about that and, and just keeping everything a bit lower cost, I guess. And actually then building and focusing on the product delivery instead of like having all this controversy around the money. Um, Look, and I guess I, I guess uh, we we do want to move on, chat about some other things before we close out, before we run out of time here. But look, I I I don't know about you guys. I'd love to, you know, if uh, someone can get in touch with Kevin Rose, <laughs> I'd love to chat to him about, uh, you know, what his thought process was through all of this because it's I think it's definitely grappling with some interesting questions and just how he how he thought about it, how he thought about everything. Um, yeah, I don't know if you, Q. I know if we if we brought him on here, you'd probably you'd probably grill him till the <laughs> for well, well, for, an, for an hour listen, plus, eh? Knowing listen, you, listen, listen, listen. The man de- deserves respect. 
what he's done for, you know, Ted. That's besides the point. Besides the point. But besides that, my biggest thing would be why 10,000? That just does not make sense to me. Uh, like to me, that is that is worrisome. There's red flags there for me. Why seven thousand dollars for ten thousand NFTs? They knew they were going to sell out. They knew it. The moment Proof Collective was announced to be behind that project, they knew they will sell out. It's almost a guaranteed with the names that came in behind this project. John, they had no fifty-five thousand people subscribed for the allow list for eight thousand spots. Ridiculous. Exactly. They they knew they were going to sell out. So there's no concern of, shit, what if we only sell a 1,000? That's bullshit. So I would like to know the philosophy behind why 10,000 of these NFTs. That would be my main grilling point. <laughs> well, listen, Kevin Rose, if you're out there, if you're listening, come on the pod. We'll, we'll have a chat. Uh, we'd love to chat to you about Moonbirds. Um, if anyone in the audience knows, knows him, <laughs> send him, send him this clip. You can, you can clip <laughs> it on call in and send it, send it his way. Right, boys, let's chat about Coinbase NFT though. Um, or should we call it the new, the Instagram of 2013 of Web3? Um, the new mix it. <laughs> yeah, the new, the new mix it. I mean, look, let's not go that far. I think it looks a bit better. Um, <laughs> But yeah, what is uh, what have been your guys' thoughts, Twitter sentiment um, on you know Coinbase NFT going into beta? Um, for it, for people who don't know, just a quick update: it currently only supports Ethereum-based NFTs and payments and ETH. Obviously, this is you know Coinbase's NFT platform that the, we we actually chatted about it. I think last year, November must have been around episode five, six, seven. Um, you know how hyped it was already and. They've innovate. I mean, well, innovated in quotation marks where they've put in sort of a what they call a community building function where you can now engage with creators and different NFTs. But basically, from the screenshots I've seen, it just looks like Instagram. Um, <laughs> it looks like an early form of Instagram. Um, what are your guys' thoughts on Coinbase in general? Coinbase NFT going into beta. Do we think it's going to be bigger than OpenSea looks rare? Um, yeah, what do we what do we have their chances at to completely take over the market here? Yeah, well, I mean, I I, I haven't looked significant amount into it to be honest, but what, from what I've seen on Twitter, um, it seems like a lot of <laughs> un um, what's the word unexperienced NFT users are liking to leave comments on <laughs> all these really expensive NFTs asking why they're so ugly. <laughs> so I've, I've, I've found that whole, that whole sort of social part of it quite hilarious. Yo, like, um, I don't, I, I don't get this. I don't get this monkey. Like, why do you have a, <laughs> why do you have a monkey? Here? <laughs> it's, it's, it's almost, it's almost going to be the new way for, for mates to roast each other's NFTs. Um, so I think it's going to become quite a banterous platform. Um, but I think, yeah, as, as iterations come, um, I think they'll develop into, into what their vision is. Um, but yeah, just from the get-go in the initial insets, I, I'm not too sure I like the comment feature on NFTs. Um, I think NFTs can be devalued very quickly based on what social sentiment is. Um, and I think with that, you'll lose a lot of the true value behind NFTs. There's a lot of, you know, Coinbase users aren't accustomed with NFTs. Um, so I think there's going to be that learning step and I think having common features like that could actually be detrimental to a lot of really successful projects, um, purely because of people who don't understand them being able to share their opinions on them. Um, yeah, so I'm just 
a bit concerned in the devaluing of blue chips and all of that. Well, look, I mean, I, I just hope we don't have another mental health crisis coming out of uh, the NFT social media. Um, <laughs> but Luca, let me ask you a question here. Um, how do you how do you sort of think about KYC within Coinbase NFT? Because they have said in their press release, um, I think one of the product, uh, the leaders of the product basically said, you know, each wallet provider for our platform will have its own KYC procedure. Can KYC exist in the world of NFTs where it is, you know, that is the peak of decentralization. I think for NFTs that people want to be decentralized, feel or like feel as though they're, they're decentralized in the sense that they don't have to KYC, you know, OpenSea, you just have to connect your wallets. Is that going to be a hindrance for Coinbase or, you know, is that going to be a strength as regulation comes? How do you think about it? Look, I think everything is heading towards some form of KYC, right? Like uh, governments need, it, need their taxes. Uh, NFTs are now financial assets. Um, so I think, I think KYC is inevitable, particularly where centralized exchanges are involved, centralized service providers. So... Uh, I, I would not even be surprised if in maybe a few years' time we, we've got the optionality to basically have a KYC module within MetaMask, right? Um, that kind of allows you to, with the one, one click of a button, uh, provide the necessary information um, to identify yourself effectively, right? Like how, how, how do you know what, is, what belongs to who in, in a decentralized space? Like these are kind of key questions that regulators will need to confront um, but uh, just to, to bring it back to Coinbase, like I, I think it's a great company, and I think you know they they're doing everything they can to push forward adoption of NFTs. And frankly, um, KYC is inevitable, in my opinion. Yeah, look, and I, I think Coinbase has always been been you know a proponent of the regulatory side being very proactive in the legal and and re regulatory side. Um, and look, I, I think this this platform could could kick off. Um, you know, as we said last year, November, when we were chatting about it, you know, they opened their wait list and they got, you know, 1.5 million signups within a day. And I think we compared the numbers to OpenSea where, you know, OpenSea has just around that number of users. And that it's probably grown by since then, obviously, but Coinbase commands a massive audience. And I think in terms of onboarding people into crypto, it has a great chance of, of really expanding the reach of, of, of this thing. Um, also, I saw that they, uh, they've partnered with MasterCard to allow you to purchase NFTs uh, via credit cards. We saw OpenSea also did that, which I think is also a massive, a massive way to increase onboarding instead of, you know, having – because, you know, we, well, do, we, we don't see MetaMask. Yeah, sorry, Q. Just, just to comment on that, how many sales have actually been done through met through credit cards? Though? Like, is there data on that? Interesting. Because, I, I don't because, know because because I know a lot of platforms that have all integrated. You know, it's like a huge marketing point to say purchase NFTs or purchase crypto with your credit cards. But how many people are actually doing that? Good point. I mean, I, good I, point. I would be interested to know if there's someone out there who purchases a board ape with a fucking credit card. You know, like. I don't see it happening, to be honest. So, I mean, I'd, I'd be keen if anyone knows where to source data on that. I'd be, it'd be epic to look at. 
Yeah, I'm, uh, listen, that, that's actually a great, great point. In principle, obviously, when you're talking about it, you're saying, okay, you know, not everyone has a MetaMask and ETH, but everyone has a credit card, most likely, or debit card. So it's a no-brainer when you see that. And like you said, it then turns into great marketing um, for the platform. But uh, yeah, I, look, I, th- I, think, I think Coinbase is definitely, definitely onto something. Um, we're going to have to, at some point, probably do uh, Coinbase NFT versus OpenSea versus, uh, versus Looks Rare and see who who can win, who can win the fight. Um, right, boys, as we move on um, and before we close out the episode, I had a bit of a, an around the block. There was This was something I wanted to mention to you guys last week, but we didn't get to it. Um, and I'm sure you guys saw the news just surrounding uh, Meta, previously known as Facebook, and uh, what they came out with a couple of weeks ago. Um, did you guys see this? With their they announced um, take rates on their NFT platform, or at least in their metaverse. Wasn't so, it like 50% or something? Yeah, so they basically announced a 47.5% take rate, which is basically their creator fee for making digital goods on the Meta platform, which is most likely going to be, you know, their their Quest Horizons um, platform, you know, going through Oculus. Um, and, I mean, obviously... The, the instant reactions, you know, you had Punk 6529 also just absolutely having a laugh at this, being like, how can they even begin to think that charging 50% overall is okay? It's also very complicated because you have to pay fees like to the Quest platform and then the Oculus App Store and then, yeah, so it's quite convoluted, quite complicated. My question to you is, because we don't have too much time to go into a full chat, um, is, is Meta going to make it? Or not going to make it. <laughs> I've said since the beginning. I don't back Zuckerberg in the Web three space. Think about his failed crypto ventures before. Um, when we first spoke about Meta, he's building a metaverse that is controlled by a central governing body. Doesn't make sense to me. So I don't think they're going to make it. And we spoke about track record, hey? We spoke about track yeah. record earlier when we were talking about Kevin Rose. Um, Luca, going to make it? Not going to make it? What are your thoughts? My perspective on Mark has changed a bit listening to his podcast with Tim Ferriss that came out recently. I mean, like, I, I think he do believes in the value proposition, right? I think he's just thinking of it within the framework of kind of a big tech company. Um, so I guess we'll see how it develops. But um, m- maybe I've turned a little bit more optimistic in general <laughs> on all these big tech companies and and. I mean, Elon, Twitter, Jack, like it's, yeah, uh, maybe, maybe we can win everyone over. Your guy in Tradfi is uh, getting soft. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, well, I, I mean, think, listen, I mean, no, like, I mean uh, like just one, one, let me just pull up this article quick. Just give me, give me a second guys. Cause I, I read something super interesting the other day about how you have these Web2 corporation executives and developers and stuff all jumping ship from Silicon Valley to pursue these Web3 startups um, as they're starting to now kind of look at this as the future of the industry. So I know just just on the on the front of Luca, you know, looking at these big tech corporations coming into into the space, um, I'm, I'm not sure I think they're going to make it, to be honest. I mean, if you've got executives 
I need to find this article so I can read some names to you guys. But if, if you, well, look, you while you, notice, Q, Q, while you yeah. do that, just to put some data to everything with, with Meta, we, we saw that they, you know, we saw at the end of last year, and I think even bleeding into this year, they were losing a lot of employees, especially from their, from their Metaverse or, or their new division, essentially. Um, you know, they were churning a lot of employees and we don't know where they ended up going. I don't think I have the data on that, but basically they also then, they spent $10 billion last year. And I think, you know, if you're arguing for Facebook, for Meta, as to why their take rate is so high, it's essentially because, you know, building digital a digital world and, you know, digital avatars and the infrastructure around it is expensive, I guess. And if, look, we don't know what they're planning on building and, and if it is expensive, if it isn't, at the end of the day... And what I mean by that is like, you know, how can we say whether it's expensive something so far out in the future um, where we have no like relative benchmark cost to sort of put it against? But essentially, they spent a lot of money on it. And I think their their rationale is saying, well, look, we're going to bring you supposedly the most sophisticated metaverse NFT platform. Therefore, that should demand the highest fee or, you know, cost of entry. If you think about the Apple App Store, you know, creating a market out of nothing, essentially, there was no app, there was no market for apps before Apple brought their App Store and they take 30%. And obviously there's been, you know, the Spotify and Epic Games who makes uh, Fortnite, their disputes with Apple. But essentially, that's the rationale. And I think when I was listening to This Week in Startups when they were announcing this, um, you know, J. Cull and and Molly, that's that was their rationale for for Facebook for Meta, but you know obviously you have the the other the other argument um, again against which we, which we've already dis- discussed. Q, did you find yeah, that yeah. article? So, yeah. So by the Insider, uh, so the businessinsider.com. Uh, so just to read a couple of names here. So firstly, the CMO of Meta's digital wallets uh, took uh, Novi took the same position at a blockchain focused payments company Circle, as we know in Jan. The former GM of Amazon's uh, AWS Edge service is now the CTO of Gemini. Lyft's former CFO and Uber's ex-director um, has joined the uh, of corporate development has joined OpenSea. Then there's Chris Lahani, Airbnb's former SVP of policy and comms that left for a crypto VC fund. There's YouTuber's former uh, head of gaming, which has left for Polygon Studios. And that, that's just literally listing a few executives. And it, it's quite interesting because a lot of Silicon Valley tech recruiters are starting to note that a vast majority of not just executives, but developers as well, are leaving these Web2 corporations to pursue these sort of futuristic startups in the Web3 space. So it's just it's just really interesting. It's fascinating. Uh, also, did you see, I think something you didn't note there was that a bunch of engineers and people who worked on the Novi project at Facebook have left to start their own you know, decentralized wallet or stable coin or basically what they were doing at Facebook, which failed. And then they left together and started their own company. Um, and they got funding from a, a bunch of VCs, uh, this week in startups also covered it. I can't remember exactly the name of the company, but I mean, that that's probably to me the most notable where you literally have guys, engineers working on the front line of the stuff and they leave the company to go start a, essentially a competitor to what Facebook was trying to, to launch is like mind blowing. Um, and then you have, and then you have them announcing cool. We'll be taking 50% uh, off of creators on our platform. So 
I, I guess mean, when you I look at that, it's almost a perfect storm, you know, of headwinds. It is a perfect storm. And, and I think, you know, the, the only way in my mind that major corporations that are established in Web2, the only way that they are going to be truly successful in the long-term game of Web3 is if they rebrand into Web3. The fact that Meta is still essentially what everyone knows it to be as Facebook, I don't believe that they will be as successful as they hope to be. That's just my opinion, because they've still got this Web2 stigma around them. And I think that's going to be an ongoing narrative for a lot of these other big Web2 corporations that are going to want to bridge. And this is largely why we are seeing a lot of the executives and developers shift across or create their own Web3 startups because they know that that is the direction of the future. Great point. I think an uh, open point then to end on. Uh, Q, how much content have we, or how much, uh, how much content have we loaded you up for your keynote in a bit? <laughs> Boys, yeah. my, my 40 minute presentation might end up being an hour and 40. <laughs> I think it was a good, I think this was a good warm up. Listen, if, if our episodes are anything to go by, you are going to be talking there for a long time. They're going to have to pull you off stage. I, I did a run through before the podcast recording this morning and I was 38 minutes on the dots and I've been given there a 40 go. minute window to speak. So nice. yeah, I think, I think I'm going to be, yeah, I'm, I'm ready to rock. I'm bringing Moonbirds into the presentation as well. So yeah, it's going to be interesting. Good luck, John. Yeah. Good luck, John. Thanks, listen, Thanks, listen, we're going to, we're going uh, to have to have a report back next episode on how it went. And uh, I want to hear, I want to hear how you red pulled everyone in the audience. <laughs> Re simultaneously well, well, red pull and and blow up our show uh, I've, I've been told, to the conference. I've been told that the, the CEO of Dentsu is a Bitcoin multi-millionaire himself. So <laughs> it's going to be very interesting to, to be speaking to all these guys. <laughs> nice, nice. Well, yeah, listen, that was, a, that was another, another episode of the Web3 show. Uh, we're at a quarter of a century of episodes next time we go out. Um, it's been a, it's been a wild ride so far. And, uh, you know, the, the wizards are going places as, as you can see, John's, uh, breaking out as an influencer. Finally, <laughs> obviously I'm just, I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing, but no, it's, it's, will, it's, it's great stuff. I'll just pump my bags, boys. <laughs> yeah. Listen, just, just pump Solana, Terra and, and the web three show. That's Done. all you needed to avoid. <laughs> Love that. Well, listen, for, for Galactic Q and your guy in TradFi, it's been another great uh, show, uh, another great episode of the Web3 show. Housekeeping, we do have a Discord up and running. I'll drop that in the in the episode description if you do want to join us. There's plenty of alpha out there. John's is when he's not doing keynotes and uh, red-pilling people. He's on there uh, giving more detailed market updates than what you hear in in these episodes. And uh, I think we, you know, we, we, we just we just have fun and talk about crypto on there, which is great. Um, lots of alpha on the market there from Jonty, though. I, I can't emphasize that more. Um, boys, thanks so much for the episode. Uh, we will see everyone on episode 25.